I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kira Mulvaney. Uh, Eric, I have long maintained, I think you probably have also, that there really isn't any other sport to compare with boxing for, for better or for worse. Look, there are other sports that are highly dangerous, of course, but outside of the other combat sports, I've always taken it as a given that there's really nothing else as inherently risky and demanding as boxing. But, well... It turns out I was wrong. Uh, step forward, Sergio Garcia, professional golfer and 2017 Masters champion, who staggered off the course after shooting a first round 75 at this year's event and proclaimed, I fought hard, but I feel like I just came out of the ring with Evander Holyfield, like a 12 round match. I need to go home and rest. So there it is, Eric. I was wrong. There is at least one sport as physically taxing as boxing, and it's walking around and hitting a little ball with a stick that somebody else carries for you. Well, I'll give Sergio credit for one thing. He made the regionally appropriate boxing reference. If you're playing golf in Georgia and you have the audacity (laughs) to compare yourself to a boxer, Evander is the right choice. So uh, I'll give him a D minus instead of an F for the outrageous comparison. Uh, Look, I'll, I'll say this for the Masters. If there are fights on Saturday night that I know I'm going to have to stay up late for, and I'm looking to give myself a boost by taking a Saturday afternoon nap, nothing better than the sweet, relaxing, barely athletic sounds of the Masters to tune into and quickly fade away to. Uh, To you golf fans out there, if you enjoy it, great. Good for you. Enjoy. But for me, golf is useful for betting on and napping to. And that's about it. And uh, and and sorry, Sergio, but uh, I ain't napping to any prime Evander Holyfield fights. <laughs> Precisely, I'm not napping to any washed Evander Holyfield fights. Probably. <laughs> uh, well, maybe John Ruiz. I was just gonna say the third John Ruiz fight is is better better nap to than watched with eyes open. I think. Uh, well, no napping allowed over the next 45, 50 minutes or so. Uh, coming up on this week's edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, we talk with 122-pound prospect-slash-contender Rais the Beast Aleem. Uh, we look at the latest news and speculation surrounding the Tyson Fury-Anthony Joshua saga. I offer a new top five lists challenge to Eric. But first, let's look back on Saturday night's Showtime Championship Boxing triple header. Headlined by Jerron Ennis stopping Sergei Lipinets in the sixth round of a one-sided performance. Yeah, so the questions we asked coming in, uh, acknowledging that Sergei Lipinets was Jerron Boots Ennis's toughest fight on paper, were, could Lipinets be the first to take Boots past six rounds? Could Ennis become the first to knock Lipinets out and or the second to knock him down? Could Lipinets win a round? Every question ended up having a pro-boots answer. <laughs> Lipinets didn't win a round, and has scored two knockdowns, one in the fourth that really should have been ruled a slip, and one in the sixth that uh, wasn't a slip. Uh, and it wasn't just a knockdown, it was a down-and-out situation coming from a right-hook-left-hand combination, and so Boots ended the fight at 2-11 of the sixth round. 
He still doesn't know what round seven feels like. With the win, Ennis moves to 27 and 0, 25 KOs, while Lipinet slips to 16, 2 and 1, 12 KOs. And in my view, getting KO'd when he did was the best thing that could have happened to him. He didn't need another two or three or four rounds of that punishment. Uh, the 23-year-old switch hitting boots Ennis was just way too much for him. Kieran. How impressed were you with this performance from Boots? And what, if anything, was particularly impressive about his win in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, I was very impressed. And I think for me, the aspect that's the most obviously and immediately impressive aspect of it was his combinations, you know, the variety in them. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that they're constant. He's not somebody who throws one punch, one punch, and then maybe throws in another combination. He's constantly throwing combinations. And they're they're beautiful. They're often varied combinations. I mean, just look at what you just talked about. That that was a three punch combination ready to finish him off. There's a right uppercut that didn't quite land, and then the right, and just the perfect left. My goodness. Um, and it's not just that he throws like a, a lot of punches. He he doesn't waste them. Um, it's so rare to have a young fighter. I mean, really any fighter who throws a lot of punches in combination with power while also showing, you know, really good punch accuracy. He landed 42% of his total punches on Saturday night, for heaven's sake. Um, mm-hmm. There were so many times where you saw him start to wind up a punch, realize that the opening wasn't there, holster that punch, switch to another one, and land cleanly, all before Lipinets had any opportunity at all to respond, which is really something to watch. And, and he's able to do that partly because... You know, his footwork is excellent. He's never reaching with his punches. His feet are always directly under him. He's able to pivot and shift balance with, you know, minimal of movement. Um, And also, you know, as he talked about in his post-fight interview with Jim Gray, he was very relaxed in there. Um, You know, as he said afterwards, he was having fun. He allowed the punches to flow nice and smoothly. Uh, I I like the fact that he showed patience too. You know, the first couple of rounds, I thought I even made a note. Oh, looks to me like Boots is looking to go some rounds. Um, you know, it looked to me like he was going to be quite content to go past that whole six round thing, go into the seventh, because he was, you know, he wasn't loading up on anything. He was working behind the jab. But once he saw, I think, that, you know, he had these openings, and once I think he realized that Lipinets couldn't do anything to him, he just stepped up, you know, stepped on the gas. Um, I guess if I was going to make a, find a criticism, and it's just such a small one. It would be like if there's one thing he could tighten up a smidgen, it's his defense. But mm-hmm. honestly, when you're on an all-out attack like that, a few punches are going to get through. Yeah. And like I said, I think he decided early on that he could take those punches without any problem. And, and so that was that. But um, if you're going to be a slight party pooper, then the slight caveat to add to all of this is something that we talked about in the preview. And that, yes, Lipinets had the experience. But as we talked about last week, styles do make fights. And this was an excellent bit of matchmaking. This was a way to put Ennis up against a, a an experienced contender, all of whose strengths were completely negated by Ennis's strengths. <laughs> yeah. And all of whose weaknesses really played into uh, uh, Ennis's strengths as well. There will be tougher tests. Uh, that said, you know... Before step-up fights such as this, you know, we when we have discussions of prospects slash contenders like Ennis, who's really a contender now, it tends to, the discussion often comes back to, well, let's not rush him. Let's build him up step by step. If he gets past this, let's move him up a little bit. 
And then when you do step him up and he's so dominant as he was, suddenly everything goes out the window. And it's like, oh my God, is he ready for the winner of King Kong Godzilla? This guy's <laughs> unstoppable. Um, assuming the answer is neither King Kong nor Godzilla, neither of whom are close to his weight class, who would you like to see NS fight next? And from what you saw, would you make him maybe a little bit less of an underdog against the Crawfords and Spences of the world than you might have done a week ago? Well, if, if you ask Breadman Edwards, he never was an underdog, right? Uh, well, indeed. <laughs> um, and I saw a few tweets to that effect from various people saying that they'd now favor him over any welterweight, which it's it's easy to say that about a top prospect in some divisions, but welterweight, yeah. where, where two of the pound-for-pound pound top five reside, that, that's a major statement. Um, I'll be curious to see whether Crawford or Spence show any interest in fighting boots. Possible one of them could view it as a Mayweather versus Canelo thing, thinking, I better fight him now rather than wait a year or two. Mm -hmm. But of course, Canelo brought enormous money to the table. Boots doesn't yet. Uh, I found it hilarious when Jim Gray asked Boots after the fight, do you think it's going to be hard for you to get a fight now? And Ennis quickly answered, no. Then paused and thought about it and revised his answer to, uh, well, maybe. Um, <laughs> I'm just not sure why anyone at any level, fellow prospect, hardened veteran, contender, belt holder, etc., would be all that eager to fight him. Um, maybe once full crowds return, you can generate enough money putting an Ennis-Danny Garcia Battle of mm -hmm. Philly in the arena where the Sixers and Flyers play or maybe in Atlantic City. I think that's Boots' best hope for a big fight in 2021 or early 2022. And it says something that I think he'd be a big favorite in that fight right now. Maybe a three-to-one favorite, maybe even wider. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think the odds makers could get away with making him too big of an underdog against even Crawford or Spence. I mean, if they make Boots a two-to-one underdog against Spence... Every boxing fan I know who bets on boxing would pile on the Ennis side there, I think. Um, to me, it, that seems pretty close to a 50-50 fight. Uh, now, on big fight experience, I probably have to lean Spence for now, but it is really the slightest of leans. But, you know, coming off wins like this one over Lipinets, I think we're all having a hard time seeing reasons to doubt Boots Ennis. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. It was, it was the conversation about Danny Garcia last night, and, and I... I love Danny Garcia, as do you. I mean, I mm -hmm. think he's criminally underrated, but that's not a good fight for Danny, I think. I no. I, I would definitely fancy Boots Ennis in that. His, his, not just his obvious ring intelligence, but just the physical assets he brings to the ring. He's, my goodness. And yeah, there's a to think that there's probably a lot of growth potential there, it is almost scary to think about how good he might end up being. Yeah, the, the timing of Ennis versus Danny Garcia now-ish, it just has all the makings of a passing of the torch kind yes. of Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, in the co-main, welterweight prospect Amantis Stanionis remained undefeated, moving to 13-0 with nine KOs, with a unanimous decision win over veteran Thomas Dulorme. Dulorme, who, as we discussed last week, has been so close to getting some wins that have ended up getting away from him, was, I thought, pretty clearly the loser here, but... It was by no means a wipeout, and Delorme acquitted himself extremely well. Some excellent movement and combinations, especially in the first half of the fight. Uh, judges' scores were 117-111, 16-12, and 115-113 from the great Steve Weisfeld. 
I hate not having the same score as Steve Weisfeld, <laughs> but I didn't. I had it 117-111. I had Stanionis sweeping round seven onward. Uh, I thought his defense was quite tight, and I thought a lot of those Delorme punches, especially down the stretch, were bouncing off his gloves. Um, by the end, Delorme seemed a beaten man, and at the end of round 11, it seemed to me that he was clearly basically asking his corner to pull him out without as- actually asking his corner to pull him out um, when he complained repeatedly that he couldn't see out of one eye. Um, anyway... Delorme falls just short again, drops to 25-5-1 and the 16 KOs. But I think surely showed he's got more than enough in his tank to, to merit continued opportunities. But what about Stan Jonas? Um, last week in the preview, forgive me if I'm paraphrasing here, but you said something along the lines of, you thought he looked like a, a decent prospect, but not necessarily anything special. Do you feel any more bullish about him after this? Or do you think that you probably were right on the, the mark there? Well, you, you did say Stan Jonas, not Stan Yosis, right? Uh, I, I did. <laughs> okay. Because there is a rap lyric to be written about Moro Ronaldo learning by osmosis, not to say Stan Yosis. Noise. Yes, yes. Uh, no, I, I will cut Mo some slack, by the way. He had to call a full MMA card Friday and learn like 10 fighters' names for that. It's legitimately a lot to keep straight. Anyway, Delorme, as you said, he remains the the nearly man. Just can't get over the hump. Uh, I had him ahead 4-3 through 7, and then I had Stan Jonas sweeping the last five rounds for a 116-112 card right in between you and uh, Steve Weisfeld, right in that that sweet spot there. Uh, (laughs) So my feelings on Stan Jonas... Man, it's just so tough to have to try to impress an audience as an up-and-coming welterweight on the yeah. same card as Boots Ennis. That's kind <laughs> of unfair. Clearly, Stenyonis is not on that talent level. Uh, there was some talk beforehand. Could he be the third prospect along with Ennis and Virgil Ortiz? And my sense remains that, no, he's good. He's solid. He's not on that plane. In fairness, Delorme is a very good fighter. He gives almost everyone difficulty. He was using his legs a lot. He had clearly faster hands and reflexes than Stanionis, so let's put all that out there in defense of Stanionis. And still, Stanionis won clearly, as you said, unanimously. He finished strong. As Abner Mara said repeatedly, Stanionis has work to do learning to cut off the ring against a mobile fighter. Yeah. Uh, that's something he really needs to improve on. He does have a very good jab, really stiff. Uh, he seems to have a good chin and good faith in his chin. He fought as if he just wasn't worried at all about Delorme hitting him. When Delorme would stand still, Stan Jonas looked like the goods. Uh, he had one excellent ro- moment in round 10 where he landed a triple right uppercut. Um, and he also did say after the fight uh, and t- uh, to his cornermen late in the fight that both of his hands were hurting him. Yes. But he kept landing bombs down the stretch and, and, and finished with maybe his best round of the fight in the 12th. So there's a lot of positives to take away here. I feel like we learned a fair bit about him in this fight. We definitely know more than we did a week ago, but my opinion stayed about the same, that he'll be a good contender, maybe a good belt holder. I don't see elite champion in his future. Mm-hmm. Okay, Stan Jonas Delorme was a good fight, but it wasn't the best fight of the night. Uh, that honor goes to the opening bout, the 115-pound clash between Jerwin Ancajas and Jonathan Rodriguez. This whole card was very good. Let's give a shout-out to the yes. excellent matchmaking. I think I might have slept on the quality of the entire card a tiny bit. Me too. And this was really brutal, stirring stuff in the opener, particularly from round six on. The veteran title holder Ancajas scored a knockdown in round eight. The less proven Rodriguez seemed close to packing it in from body shots, uh, but toughed it out and rallied back. 
In the end, it went the distance, and Ancaas won a unanimous decision by scores of 115-112, 116-111, and 117-110. Al Bernstein, in a rare moment of outrage, hated those latter two scores. I didn't. I had it 116-111. And uh, to me, this was the second best fight of 2021 so far. Uh, also the second best 115-pound yes. fight of 2021 so far. These guys are in the same division as Chocolatito and Estrada, as well as Trisiquet and Quadras. Kieran, we talked last week about Ancajas wanting an opportunity to fight one of those big four. Did he show that he belongs in that group? Uh, for that matter, despite losing, Rodriguez surely saw his stock rise considerably too. So how about him? Would you like to see him in against one of the big little dogs in the division? Uh, or is a rematch between these two the obvious next step for both? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, but first of all, to, to, on the scoring, uh, I'm with you. I had it a smidgen closer. I had it 15-12. But, mm -hmm. you know, you said it was the second best fight of the year, the second best in the 115-pound division. And like that other fight, there were so many close rounds, I mm -hmm. thought. Um, I, I thought. I think a spread was quite reasonable. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, did, I was not even remotely outraged by the scores. But um, to get to your questions, uh, I think they have both both merited the opportunity to be a significant underdog against any of the top four, which is, <laughs> yeah. which is what I think would be the case, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's so difficult, I think, to judge a fight like this in terms of its broader meaning when one of the combatants was such a mystery beforehand. So we come out of this and we think, wow, was Rodriguez way better than we realized? Or is Anka Haas, especially when you think, you know, he had a slightly shaky draw a couple of fights ago, is he slipping a little bit? There might be a bit of the latter, but I think there's more of the former here. I mean, you know, Rodriguez, um, most of his opponents are nothing, but we've seen now, uh, like a, a couple of times he stepped up and he's been very impressive. Um, Anka has tried to lay traps for Rodriguez, tried to box him from the outside, but Rodriguez kept dragging him into a brawl where that fight was much more even. Um, two main stories, I think, that came out of this. God, this fight deserved a crowd, first mm -hmm. of all. I mean, it was a note I made early on, and Mora referred to often. As great as this was, my goodness, just imagine this fight, especially, like you said, down the stretch, in an arena full of fans baying their approval. Uh, my goodness me. Um, and again, and you, you touched on this, the other story is, is, good God, I want Rodriguez to have my back in a street fight. Lord have mercy. <laughs> what a tough, tough, tough man. Um, you know, just as it seemed that Ankar Haas had found the key to unlock his resistance, you know, after dropping him in the eighth and really battering him in the ninth, 
to not only find a second win that enabled him to hang in there, but to sweep the last three rounds was just remarkable. And it was Ankerhas who looked exhausted at the end. Yeah. Look, both men deserve immense credit here. I, I don't think either man right now has either the boxing skills or the power to overcome or even necessarily be hugely competitive against Estrada or Chocolatito. I, I think Srisaket would be an especially bad matchup for Rodriguez because Rodriguez clearly likes to get stuck into a fight. Mm. And I don't think that's the right strategy against the Thai, who's probably the biggest and strongest of, of, of the top four. They might both fancy their chances a bit more against Carlos Quadras, who, you know, in terms of like win-loss records... Um, and relative abilities, if not in style, is kind of the Wilfred Benitez of the group. Yeah. Um, but again, it, you know, it'd be, it would be close. Uh, you might favor Quadras, but that would be closer, I think, for both guys. They haven't broken into the top four, but they are clearly settled in just that half tier or so below that they should be first in line when any of those top four needs an opponent that isn't one of the others in the top four, I mm. think. They, they, they merit that. Yeah. Rematch next. You know, on the one hand, you might think that both men would be very happy never to see the other guy again. I mean, they were incredibly nice to each other afterwards, of course, but that was 12 brutal rounds. Rodriguez might feel that his reputation is as enhanced against Ankerhas as it's going to get. Um, and Ankerhas might feel he doesn't want to put himself through that again if there is a prospect of a fight against Trissaket or one of the others somewhere on the horizon. But that said, if the top four are tied up with each other for a little while, which it looks like they might be, and there's probably going to be a fair bit more money on offer for a rematch than there was for this one on Saturday night. Certainly more money than most 115-pounders see. Maybe it is the best option, at least in the short term, even if not necessarily for their long-term status or health. Um, so, yeah, maybe. I can imagine both guys being quite keen to see if there are other <laughs> available options there. Um, but a rematch is a distinct possibility, and I very much want to see both of them again, mm -hmm. let's say. But, you know what? So much, really, for what this means for all these men's careers. I mean, that's secondary, really. Um, what about the important stuff? What does Saturday night's results mean for our picks competition? <laughs> that's really what people want to know, Indeed, I think. Um, entering the night, you led by 18 points to 15. We each picked up one point for Anka Has Rodriguez, as we predicted the correct winner, but picked Anka Has to win by stoppage. And, uh, oh, there was a point there where I got very worried, seeing as you picked uh, an eighth round stoppage. Mm -hmm. I was very happy when Rodriguez picked himself up at nine. Um, <laughs> yeah. we, we each gained two points. For Ennis Delorme, as we both picked an Ennis KO but got the round wrong. Uh, the difference maker was in the co-main. You said Stanionis would win by KO9. I said unanimous decision. As a result, uh, you get just one point. I get three, which means your lead is now just one point at 22-21. And we know what that means, Eric, don't we? <laughs> uh, yeah, it means uh, that uh, I'm in the lead. Uh, I'm Thanks. a winner. You're a loser. Nothing can change any of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think several things can change that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could end up both losers. I, I suppose that's the argument oh, that's to be made. The most, yes, one yeah. might argue that's our present status anyway, <laughs> right. but there you go. <laughs> All right. Meanwhile, on ESPN, Joe Smith Jr. edged Maxim Vlasov to win a light heavyweight belt in a seesaw contest. The Twitterati seemed on balance to be dissatisfied with the result. Uh, what about you? How did you score it? And did that fight enhance or diminish your enthusiasm for a smith arter better be at the clash? So I had it 114-114, which was the same as one of the three judges, uh, with Smith winning the last two rounds to pull out a draw. But 
no issue here with the close majority decision going his way. He did have Vlasov clearly hurt on a few occasions, and Vlasov never seemed to particularly hurt Smith. So that's a reasonable, unofficial tiebreaker in my book. But at the same time, no issue here with anyone who feels Vlasov narrowly deserved the win. He's so awkward. He was Mm. really a rough style matchup for Smith. And good for Joe for biting down and just saying, screw it, I'm a pretty one-dimensional guy, and this fight (laughs) is a pain in the ass. I'm going to try to use my one dimension and pull this out, and I don't care if it looks pretty, and he he rallied and, and did get the win. But the struggle here definitely did cut into my enthusiasm for a better BF fight a little. You know, part of it was styles. Better BF isn't much like Vlasov. Better BF versus Smith should still be fun, but Better BF is really smart in the ring, and I would imagine he's going to see things in this fight that help him have an easier time with Joe Smith. I'm now of the belief that Joe has only the proverbial puncher's chance if that fight happens. Um, and one other comment that I have to squeeze in, this was Top Rank's first venture outside the MGM bubble. According to the broadcasters, this fight at a casino in Tulsa, Oklahoma, allowed 500 fans to enter and masks were required. Well, those fans were packed in like sardines. Mm. They were not spaced out at all. And maybe you needed to wear a mask to be let in, but it looked to me like everyone found their seat and took their mask off. Uh, At least 50% of the faces I saw in the crowd were watching the fights without masks on. It really pissed me off. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, if you're vaccinated and you know everyone sitting near you is vaccinated, in theory, it's okay. This is how we get back to normal. But that's not what was happening here. It's the selfish people who have convinced themselves COVID is no big deal. They're a huge part of the reason COVID is a big deal, has been for over a year now, and might continue to be for years to come. While the responsible adults who take it seriously and wear a mask in places where a mask is required continue to pay the price for other people wanting to flex their quote-unquote freedom. Uh, yeah, look, Looking at all those maskless faces crammed together just really pissed me off, and uh, I had to vent about it, and uh, if there are people who feel opposite to me uh, who are turning off the podcast now, so be it. Uh, Makes me viscerally uncomfortable as well at this point. It's not, as well as being angry, any time I see this kind of situation, it just there's a tension that goes through my body that I wouldn't have had like a year, right. a year and a half ago. It's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we 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 will eventually get past it, but yeah, it's going to happen sooner if people get in line. And uh, exactly. clearly, in at this uh, at this fight card at this casino in Tulsa, they they were not. And uh, yeah, but uh, okay, I'll, I'll take a deep breath and uh, and get back to boxing talk. Uh, a Saturday chock full of fights kicked off on DAZN on the other side of the pond, late afternoon hour time. If you just tuned in for the main event, I hope you didn't blink because <laughs> Connor Ben, son of Nigel, took out Samuel Vargas in the very first round when the referee Michael Alexander stepped in with Vargas taking punishment against the ropes. Kieran, the whole fight lasted just 80 seconds. So I'm challenging you to say everything you want to about the fight, including whether the stoppage was justified in that same time or less. No excuse for your analysis to last longer than the fight <laughs> itself. So 80 seconds on the clock starting now. All right. Uh, this is a lot like an early Nigel Ben fight, actually, uh, just steaming in and blasting out the opponent, um, with the possible exception that Connor didn't get tagged or dropped, only to come roaring back with a dramatic early finish, which his dad sometimes did uh, early in his career. Um, ref pulled the trigger maybe a smidgen soon. It was very early in the fight, and so he obviously hadn't taken sustained punishment. He arguably deserved some more seconds to show he could get out of that situation. But I get it. 
Ben's punches were piercing the Vargas guard. Vargas's hands were dropping a little bit. He was almost through the ropes and his head was snapping back early, but not outrageous. Um, like Tim Zhu last week, Ben gave us a measuring stick by which to judge his ability and progress against more experienced opposition uh, right now, especially given where his career stands. He comes out of it fairly favorably. Uh, with at least one very obvious exception, sons of famous boxing fathers rarely have truly accomplished careers, but both Ben and Zhu are demonstrating that they may conceivably have the ability to be additional exceptions to that rule. We shall see. How'd I do? Oh, room to spare, not even at the 60-second mark. So, nice. Uh, well done, well done. Nice. All right. Uh, just a few fights of significance to note uh, next weekend. In Hollywood, Florida, on the zone, Demetrius Andre defends a middleweight strap against Britain's Liam Williams. In Los Angeles on Fox, Tony Harrison returns, facing off against Brian Perella in a junior middleweight clash. And in the aforementioned uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Regis Prograde meets Ivan Redcock in an interesting 140-pound meeting. I noticed you declined to mention what is technically the main event of the Pro Gray <laughs> Red Cat card, uh, and I would assume that is not a slip-up or an accident. It's not, sir. <laughs> uh, that card is headlined by a YouTuber versus an MMA fighter, and uh, sadly, it is the fight next weekend that will get the most attention. Not on this podcast, though, and not because we're taking some moral stand, rather just because I don't think our audience cares. Uh, our audience is primarily boxing fans, and I don't think boxing fans care about that fight. But general sports fans probably do to some extent. And for my day job, I will be writing an article this week about yeah. the betting on it. Uh, but for this podcast, there is no sense in breaking it down. It will be an opportunity, though, for Progray, who is heavily favored to win this fight to impress a wide audience of people yeah. who've never seen him fight before. This is a, a prime opportunity for him to earn some new fans. And Redcock has a style he might be able to dazzle against. Um, the other fights, my interest in Andrade, if he isn't fighting an elite opponent, and I realize that he's being avoided to an extent because the risk of fighting him isn't worth the reward. It's not all his fault, but I I've just lost interest in these sort of fights for him. And Tony Harrison, I usually enjoy watching him in action, although I don't expect too much resistance from Perella. All in all, not the most mouthwatering boxing weekend ahead of us. All right. Time for our tweet of the week. And it comes from... Well, you, actually, um, <laughs> which on one level is probably the laziest effort I could possibly put forward. Uh, but this is golden. Uh, to be more precise, the tweet of the week is something you retweeted. It is video of Sugar Ray Leonard and Thomas Hearns uh, sitting with Mike Tyson on the set of Mike's podcast. And the video kicks in at a point where Leonard and Hearns are apparently in mid-smack talk. Well, Ray's doing most of the smack talking. Um mm. Anyway, we joined the video as Ray is telling Tommy he could knock him out right now, still, right then and there, as Mike, as a excellent podcast moderator, exclaims, oh, shit, into his mic repeatedly. <laughs> um, at one point, Ray tells Tommy to stand up. Tommy's reluctant to do that um, initially, but then he does. Ray sort of extends his left hand until it's just touching Tommy's jaw. After some laughter on his part, Tommy does the same to him. Ray tells him he shrunk. <laughs> and then the real kicker comes in as they sit back down and Tommy says something and Ray retorts, what language are you talking? Are you speaking German? I mean, holy crap. Um, I mean, on one level, it's all show. But on another level, it isn't quite. Uh, Leonard in particular, despite his golden smile, golden boy reputation, was always an utter bastard as a yep, fighter. Yep. Uh, um, just a really mean and cruel guy. And, you know, and just a few years ago at a, at a boxing writer's dinner, Floyd Mayweather Jr. and Ray 
happened to be standing next to each other. Somebody asked who would have won between them, and they almost got into it then and there. Um, anyone who's been around old fighters knows uh, uh, they never completely let it go. Yeah. Um, but Ray, like, going there and mocking Tommy's speech, unless it's a private joke between them, which it might be, that was like a two-point deduction for a flagrant low blow. Um, as you said in your quote, RT, simultaneously the best and worst two minutes of podcasting you will see slash hear all year. Riveting, yet deeply uncomfortable, <laughs> yeah. I thought. Yeah, I, I, I am honored to have been awarded the tweet of the week. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, don't expect me to return the favor anytime oh, soon. I barely have a tweet. Anyway. I was just going to say, you pretty much just promote articles and podcasts, and that's about yeah. it. So, uh, But yeah, what a magnificent video. I could watch it over and over. And I have. I've watched it three times. Um, so much to love and cringe about at the same time. I love Mike goading them on, playing a, a little uh, amateur Don King in this situation, it seemed. Um, I, I'm oddly amused by Shane Mosley sitting there having nothing to add. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ray saying Tommy shrunk is great. Uh, he, he is a little hunched over, but otherwise he still looks pretty good for 60-something. Yeah. Yeah. He just doesn't sound so good, uh, but that's been true for a long time. Uh, and But yeah, what you singled it out ray asking are you speaking german oh, it's funny and it's harsh and it's ray being kind of an a-hole as you said yeah. he, he you know it's sort of like ali that there was a playfulness to it when he talked trash but there was yes. also kind of a real edge to it um but of course the best part is logistic skills uh, Mike Tyson's loose grip on the English language is just the best. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, um, please, nobody throw money at Ray and Tommy oh, to gosh. fight again. You know that right now some douchebag businessman is out oh, there God. thinking about it. Whoever you are, douchebag, don't do it. Oh, seriously. Yes. Um, all right. Uh, so much for long retired uh, and in one case, multiple times retired, middle-aged, uh, and then some former fighters. Let's turn to the new generation. Uh, our guest this week is a rapidly rising 122-pound contender who, over the last year or so, has become a staple of Showtime broadcasts, scoring stoppage wins over Adam Lopez, Marcus Bates, and Vic Pasias to run his professional record to 18-0 with 12 KOs. He is Raiz the Beast. Alim, Raiz, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, so, first of all, belated congratulations on your most recent victory, which uh, Kieran just mentioned against Vic Pasias. Uh, going in, you were both undefeated with similar records, and it was viewed almost as a pick'em kind of fight. But you handled him pretty comfortably, scoring four knockdowns and an eleventh round stoppage. What were the keys to that victory, Raiz? And and would you say it was the best win of your career so far? Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say uh, it was the best uh, win of my career, but also the toughest fight of my career. Mm. And I, I went into that fight uh, not underestimating him. You know, uh, I seen the, his previous fight. He looked phenomenal. You know, I heard a lot of good things about him. He had a huge amateur pedigree, you know, so I knew he was going to bring his A game. And I just uh, kind of stuck to the game plan. Me and my trainer, we uh, we do we have great chemistry, and uh, we was able to just take advantage of our advantages. 
you mentioned, you know, it, that it was not only your best win, but also in some ways your toughest fight. There certainly was a point in that fight. You, you seem to have it all going your way. And then around the eighth round, he started landing those straight left hands from the southpaw stance. Did he buzz you at any point? Did your confidence waver at any point when he made that little mini rally there? No, uh, you know, he, he connected on a few shots, but I didn't feel like he had devastating power. You know, I, I have a hell of a chin. So uh, I, it didn't phase me. Uh, I do a good job of keeping my poise and uh, just staying focused. I did kind of let him get the spark, you know, in like the seventh or eighth round. And he's a dangerous fighter. So like in my head, I knew I can't let him catch fire and try to get a comeback. Hmm. Uh, no one can accuse you of taking the easy route here in your career. If, if I understand correctly, a few years ago, you felt that your career was maybe stagnating a little bit up in, in Michigan. You needed to challenge yourself and expose yourself more. And you, like you went down to Las Vegas and even then it wasn't like automatically successful for you. As I understand it, you were having to do jobs, as security guards, working in pawn shops, doing all this kind of stuff. And I'm wondering, were there times during that where you thought, man, is this worth it? Is this really going to work out for me? Did you ever imagine that just a few years later, you'd, you'd be a regular on Showtime? Uh, you know, it, it, it's crazy, you know, uh, where I've uh, come to where I am now. W when I was in Michigan, I was having those thoughts, you know, like, man, is it possible this, this and that? But when I made the move, I, I was just all about business. So when I made the move to Vegas, it was never would I get there. It was mm -hmm. just it was just straight grinding. And. I had vision, you know, I foreseen all this. I knew it was possible, but uh, I'm just living through those moments now. So it just feels amazing. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, given how hard you work to get to where you are, I'm wondering how you feel about some of these guys taking a sort of a, a shorter, quicker path. Uh, the, these YouTube stars uh, calling themselves <laughs> boxers, fighting other non-boxers for a lot of money. Does it frustrate you seeing that? Or, or do you just sit back and say, hey, this, this could be good for the sport. Let them do what they do. Well, you know, I'm kind of thinking about the sport as itself because it's obviously bigger than me, you know, and uh, YouTubers with huge followings, you know, all they do is bring more eyes to the sport. But I would love for one of them to fight an actual fighter. Yeah. You know, uh, somebody who is uh, in the game, you know, then then you can say you're a boxer and this, this and that. You can't fight somebody who's never done it before, you know. Right. Right. So yeah. so speaking of one of them fighting an actual fighter, I assume if there was a popular YouTuber somewhere around your size that, you know, becomes an opportunity where you would be a gigantic favorite over a guy who's not a boxer and there could be a lot of money in it. <laughs> I suppose you would jump in an opportunity like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I jump in that opportunity to, uh, you know, kind of show them what's up, you know, for real. <laughs> right. You're representing all of boxing, uh, showing what 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 happens when a non-boxer faces a boxer. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One of the things I find interesting about about your, your background is you came to boxing maybe a little late. Like initially, a lot of your interest was karate. Right. And you had a black belt by 13 or something, which, which as far as I know, is, is pretty impressive. Um I'm curious whether there's anything that you've been able to take with karate that translates into boxing that helps you in some way, whether it's movement, whether it's balance, whether it's timing, whether there's anything like that that maybe gives you a little extra something in the ring that maybe people who don't have that background don't have. Uh, I would definitely say my movement. Like uh, hmm. I'm, I'm really good on my feet, um, my timing and my balance. Uh, I feel like all that kind of correlates with each other. So I, I think that gives me an advantage, but I'm also extremely athletic, mm. you know, so I think I surprise a lot of people 
with my uh, my foot speed, my hand speed, my ability to get in and to get out and not get hit. Mm, mm. Uh, I'm curious also that with that background, did you at any point give any thought to maybe focusing more on MMA rather than boxing? And, and is that even sometime in the future something that you might think about? Well, you know, uh, uh, coming up, uh, MMA wasn't that that big, <laughs> you know, so it was kind of just like, well, I'll, I'll stick to where the money's at, to where I'm good at, you know, stick to boxing. But it's like I, I would love to cross over because I, I'm an athlete. I love to compete. So um, fighting an undefeated guy in the cage, that would be, oh, man, that'd be amazing. That'd really? be really fun. Do you follow a lot of MMA? Are there, are there fighters you watch in MMA? I mean, a few. I'm not too much. I'm kind of trying to focus on my own sport, but uh, I would love to do a crossover. That, that'd be oh. pretty fun. Okay. Well, well, speaking of focusing on your own sport and, and watching fighters, uh, were there any fighters growing up that you particularly liked watching? Anyone that you at all modeled your boxing game after? Well, um, I, I did like watching Tyson. You know, I was mm. born in the 90s coming up. Tyson was always that thing. But uh, one of my favorite uh, fighters, rest in peace, would uh, be Marvin Hagler. Mm. You know, um, but I never actually tried to model my game after uh, anybody. There might be certain punches or certain moves that I might like, like, okay, I like that. And then I'll do it in the gym mm. or in a fight. But uh, I, I've never tried to emulate my style after anybody. Okay. Mm. And, uh, you know, given that you have the, the karate background, uh, I have to get your take on an age old debate that's been taking place in barber shops and bars for about 50 <laughs> years. Uh, prime Bruce Lee versus prime Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Who wins that fight? Oh, man. Okay. So you, you got speed and power versus like speed and power. Like, hold up. <laughs> you know, uh, if, if I'm going with the gloves on, the gloves on, I'm going Ali, gloves mm -hmm. off. I got to go Bruce Lee. Okay. So it's all a matter of what rules are in place, uh, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think so. That's <laughs> all a right. dangerous and, fight. <laughs> um, and, and just one more question about, about other fighters besides yourself. Uh, are, are there current fighters that, that you particularly enjoy watching? Any, any favorites among the, the other guys out there? Well, um, uh, Terrence Crawford. Yeah, you know, I, I like Crawford, uh, his ability to go southpaw, orthodox. You know, I feel like he's a well-rounded fighter. Um, I, I'd have to say he's, he's kind of at the top of the list. You know, Errol Spence, uh, man. Uh, you know, I, I kind of did like uh, Frampton, you know. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I was kind of a fan of Frampton. But, yeah, I'd, I'd say those were probably like the top three. Okay. I mean, All right, well, there's I others, but. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm going to make you pick a winner then even harder than the Ali versus Bruce Lee question. Uh, Spence, Spence and Crawford, who, who do you favor if they do happen to fight each other? I hope that they fight because it'd be great for the sport. I'm, I'm going with Crawford. I'm, I'm going with Crawford. Yeah. Okay. I, I think he's more well-rounded. Yeah. yeah, you and me Great. both. You and me both. <laughs> Was it tough to watch the Frampton fight the other day? It's a cruel sport, this, isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's a tough ending for just about everybody. And it was tough to see Carl the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's sad that he has to hang him up, but like, you know, like everyone said, he's been a great ambassador for yep. the sport. It was a great fight. He just was, you know, over overmatched and just not up for the, for the challenge, but it, it was a great fight. Uh, he's a great fighter and we'll see if he puts him back on again one day. Yeah. Indeed. All right. The big question here, your division is absolutely stacked with talent, talent at the top, talent coming up. It's a fantastic division to be in. Um, as well as yourself, lately we've seen guys like Stephen Fulton, of course, Murajan Akhmadaliev, all looking really good. Okay, 
Floor is yours. Who do you want? What's your timeline? When do you want him? Who are you looking at next? Well, I would love to fight Akhmedalia. The okay. biggest reason why is because he's not only considered one of the best fighters in the sport, uh, I want those belts. And uh, Stefan, you know, honestly, unlike a lot of these other fighters, I'm not afraid of my undefeated status. I'm mm-hmm. really, I'm, I'm willing and ready to fight absolutely anybody in the division. Akhmedalia, Stefan Fulton, uh, Lewis Neri, Brandon Figueroa. It's like, yo, it's like, look, I got the pen. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got the pen. It's in the contract. What's up? You know, so it don't matter to me. I've, you know, I shouldn't even be here right now. It's only because of my grind, my ambition, and my vision. You know, that's why I'm able to sit here and talk to you guys right now. So I'm ready for the opportunity. I've prayed for this. I've bled for this. Hey, I'm, I'm ready for this. Just just to narrate for anyone who's listening uh, and not and not seeing uh, Raiz just showed us he's wearing a T-shirt that says got the pen. That's how ready to sign he is. <laughs> well, look, Raiz, um, you're one of those fighters who's a real joy to watch. And you've obviously you're on a real roll right now and we wish you all the best. And you're also a fantastic interview. So you're welcome back on the Showtime Boxing Podcast anytime. Thank you very much indeed for your time. All right. Hey, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Okay, thanks so much to Rais Alim. That was great. Really enjoyable. He's tremendously personable. I yeah. really I really like getting these boxers on Zoom. It, it makes such a difference yes. being able to see them. Uh, and, and as I mentioned to him when we finished recording, but before we hung up the Zoom call, he may be the beast inside the ring, but he is anything but outside it. Yeah, yeah. You know what? One thing that's interesting, though, with both him and his fellow contender for best young fighter slash Showtime podcast <laughs> guest, Brandon Lee, um, they both talked about their desire to win belts. They both specifically said they wanted to fight certain people specifically to win belts. Mm-hmm. Um, we may mock the alphabet bodies, and oh, how we mock the alphabet bodies, but they get away with their nonsense because, of course, boxers do like those belts, and you, you can't blame them, I guess. Um, talking of alphabet bodies and belts, uh, that leads us neatly into the news. And we'll do the news segment a little bit differently this week. Uh, instead of the main event and then the undercard, we'll do it a true boxing style with the undercard first. Um, and the first undercard bout sort of follows on from uh, from what I just mentioned. It is another reminder of just why we mock these sanctioning bodies, because one of them has decided that Canelo Alvarez doesn't have enough belts. And on top of everything, has created a new one for Canelo's fight with Billy Joe Saunders. Apparently this mestizo belt represents the state of Mexico. And however much the head of said sanctioning body may deny it now, what do you want to bet? It will also end up representing a percentage of a fighter's purse on more than one occasion in the future. Uh, staying with sanctioning bodies, another one has ordered the man Reis Alim just name-checked, Murajan Akhmedaliev, to defend one of his belts against Ronnie Rios, who lost his last world title tilt against uh, Ray Vargas, but is a solid contender, undefeated in almost three years, but almost certainly not solid enough for my main squeeze, Akhmedaliev. Uh, let me see what else we got. Uh, Machet Suletsky is out of his scheduled fight with Jaime Munguia on the zone. In his place is Demetrius Ballard. That fight will now play, take place April 23rd. According to Dan Raphael, writing on Boxing Scene, talks are advanced for junior lightweight Chris Colbert to meet veteran Yuriokis Gamboa on Showtime in early July. Before then, Nonito Donaire and bantamweight titleist Nordin Ubali look set to finally go ahead with their previously postponed bout, also on Showtime, and we hope we'll have something definitive to report on that soon. Uh, and I like this news. Uh, lightweight contender Richard Comey has been named a global ambassador for the UNACWCA, the United Nations Association Commission for Women and Children, which is based in and focuses its efforts on 
protecting women and children in Comey's native Ghana. Good for him. And finally, Earl Simmons, better known as the rapper DMX, died at the age of 50 following a drug overdose and heart attack. For boxing fans, he'll always be recalled as part of the soundtrack of the late-stage career of Mike Tyson, who used DMX tracks as his ringwalk music for fights against Franz Bolta and Lennox Lewis, and good on Boots for doing the same mm-hmm. last on Saturday night. Um, he was also slated, I'd forgotten about this, uh, supposedly to box Trayvon Martin's killer, George Zimmerman, in 2014, in advance of which he declared that, quote, I'm going to beat the living fuck out of him. I'm breaking every rule in boxing to make sure I fuck him right up. <laughs> Shortly afterward, alas, the fight was canceled. Uh, anything you want to say about any of the above? So I'm not a rap guy. Couldn't tell you much about the DMX catalog, but if he wanted to beat the fuck out of George Zimmerman, exactly. then he's all right by me. Uh, but certainly tragic news. Uh, and that and Prince Philip on the same day made for a weird one, too. Um, <laughs> among the other stuff, uh, I have put a block on Twitter for any tweet with the word mestizo in it. I will not see them. Uh, for a late sub, Demetrius Ballard isn't bad at all. Uh, I don't think he'll win, but I don't think it's a cakewalk for Munguia either. And hopefully we'll have those Showtime fights to discuss soon. Certainly Nonito and Ubali is one we were looking forward to the first time. We'll look forward to it in May, if indeed that's when it's happening. And sources say some sort of major Showtime boxing news is on the way. Uh, Now for the main event of the Newsweek. And it is the latest back and forth over what would undoubtedly be the biggest fight or possibly pair of fights this year if everything ends up signed, sealed, and delivered, the proposed heavyweight championship clash and rumored contracted rematch between Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. But the question is, will it happen? The signals from Fury's camp in particular have been all over the place lately, even as Joshua has mostly kept a tighter lip. A few weeks back, we reported that the two camps had signed an agreement that was contingent on finding a suitable and suitably lucrative venue. The clock has been ticking on completing that task, and last week Fury took to posting daily countdowns, suggesting the whole thing was in jeopardy. Then on Friday, AJ tweeted that myself, 258 Management, and Matchroom Boxing are working really hard to make the fight happen. I want to give my fans what they want, and you know I'll do whatever I can to deliver, hoping to share some positive news soon. It all added to an impression that Joshua, Eddie Hearn, and their side were working to get things done, while Fury was throwing bombs from the sidelines. But then, shortly after the Joshua tweet, Fury posted a short video in which he said, Just got some big news. There's three or four big offers on the table. Interest from Saudi Arabia, my gypsy brothers in Qatar, Uzbekistan, Russia, America, England. There's some big, big offers on the table. I'm going to go over them on Sunday, and hopefully we'll get this big fight on and let me smash this big dosser, big useless dosser, let me say. So, Kieran... Has this all been performance art on the part of Fury? Was this fight really on the verge of collapsing? What are the odds that by the time this podcast posts, this particular item will already be out of date and we will have an agreement and a venue? And if we have a venue, what will it be? Honestly, all of that was worth it just to hear you say Big Dosser. Um, <laughs> uh, I think everything Tyson Fury does and says publicly is performance art to some extent, isn't it? Um, my completely uninformed inference from all of this is that it shows that Joshua and Hearn are driving this train and Fury is at times a little bit unhappy about being stuck in the caboose shadow boxing and waiting for the conductor to come back and tell him mm-hmm. there's a seat for him up in first class. Um, again, total inference, but even though he looks in terrific physical shape, Fury does, and, he's, and he said he does, get 
anxious uh, and antsy when he isn't in the ring. And we haven't seen him in the ring for over a year now. And, and he probably just wants to get on with it. Yeah. Um, but judging from his tone in that video, he is happy with the options that are being presented and, and that they're legitimate. And there will be some kind of announcement soon. It could be it's the listing of those possible locations of the head fake and the pretense that, you know, there's multiple sites to choose from when they're going to go to Saudi Arabia. And we all know they're going to Saudi Arabia. Um, we'll also note, though, that the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has spoken out and he made a public plea to Hearn a couple of days ago that the, that the British capital would do whatever it could to support the bout if he did want to have it at Wembley. Hmm. Um, you know, but, you know, there are millions of reals beckoning them to Jeddah. So we'll see. Uh, given that Eddie Hearn is traveling to Las Vegas to talk with Fury co-promoter Bob Arum on Tuesday, so he revealed after the Conor Ben fight, I'd say that this segment won't be horribly out of date until later in the week. But I also have a feeling now that there's a better than even chance that on next week's podcast, we'll be able to discuss this fight as a done deal with date and site sorted. And then I'm guessing it'll be my turn to go on another rant. <laughs> yeah, probably so. I know. I know what that rant would entail. And I'm I'm with you that I think we're getting close. I, I'm increasingly confident that the fight is happening. It has to happen. Uh, yeah. it, it just takes time to work out the details. But this is the fight for both of them. Nothing else comes close. And I continue to hold out a tiny bit of hope that they'll stall long enough to do it at Wembley in front of fans, mm -hmm. even though I think I know deep down that ain't happening. Not for, not for the first fight between them anyway. Yep, yep. All right. To finish off, it is top five challenge time. Uh, first of all, last week I came up with my list of best off-the-floor moments, and Eric chimed in with some suggestions of his own. We also heard from listener Will Alston, who wrote to Eric with some good ones of his own, including a couple I considered but ultimately didn't go with, like Miguel Cotto, Ricardo Torres, Kendall Holt, Ricardo Torres, uh, Antoine Eccles, Charles Brewer. Uh, the best one I thought initially was one that I possibly could have included in the honorable mentions, and that was Lehman Bruce of Vladimir. Klitschko. I, I was ringside for that one and that was a huge shock uh, mm -hmm. not least because of the utterly bizarre sight of Klitschko collapsing and then crawling halfway to his corner at the end of round five but so I rewatched it um, you know after we got that suggestion from Will uh, and I realized that, that the Brewster knockdown in round four wasn't as dramatic as some of those we mentioned it wasn't so much the knockdown the off the canvas moment it was the fact that he'd taken four and a half maybe four and three quarter rounds of shellacking right before exploding out of nowhere that was the that was the real comeback there um by the way uh, side note because i was ringside i actually hadn't heard the hbo call until i sat down and watched it and i couldn't help but smile when jim said that might be it for the Vladimir Klitschko heavyweight contender era. <laughs> um, but in fact, of course, it was just the beginning. Uh, but I think those of us in the arena that night agreed with Jim. Even so, great comeback, but for me, doesn't make it into the off-the-deck Hall of Fame, Eric. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, agree. I think uh, I don't think we missed anything that has been brought to my attention so far that really needed to be in there. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, there are all different ways to interpret all of these top five list uh, ideas that we have always. But a key one to this is that you get knocked down and it really looks like the end that you're taking a big punch. And, and yeah, it was an accumulation with layman that it's, but I don't know that there was an, Oh my God, how's he going to get up from that moment yeah. in that fight? Right. Okay. So now we switch to this week's challenge. Uh, and I've been chuckling a little bit with this one, actually, for various reasons. Um, I initially thought of it when falling asleep the other night. Okay. Other evening. Okay, early the other <laughs> evening, <laughs> um, when when the Fury Joshua negotiations appeared to be going belly up, and then the next morning I woke up and I realized that Dan Raphael had come up with 
a very similar list and certainly the same concept in his newsletter just I think about a week or so earlier and maybe that had seeped into my subconscious I like Dan but I don't think I want him whispering into my subconscious all night uh I mentioned <laughs> I'm in the picturing vac- Dan whispering sweet nothings in your ear Karen <laughs> uh it's my subconscious is here let's be yes, honest sure. um but i i mentioned it to you in, in sort of vague terms uh you without knowing what the list was said you'd be okay with dan's sloppy seconds so <laughs> oh, God. Uh, boy the image the imagery just keeps getting worse continue I, I have to let dan know about this um so anyway here we go and it is simply this what are the top five fights that you wish had been made or would have liked to happen but weren't made or, or just were never even really considered. Not necessarily the biggest ones that seem destined to happen and for political reasons or ducking reasons or contractual reasons just didn't take place, even though fans were absolutely clamoring for it. But also fights that at the time you thought would have been nice to see, but, you know, just never really happened. Um, you know, like little personal wish lists that you've always thought to yourself, I would have liked to have seen so-and-so and so-and-so. Uh, so it's a personal list. And there are therefore no wrong answers. Uh, the one caveat, though, they have to have been fights that could feasibly have taken place between contemporary professional boxers within a reasonable weight range of okay. each other. So right. much as we would have liked to have seen it, no DMX George Zimmerman, uh, <laughs> no Muhammad Ali Wilt Chamberlain, right. no Sugar Ray Leonard Floyd Mayweather Jr., no Chocolatito Gonzalez Gennady Golovkin. Fights that could have been made, perhaps should have been made, but weren't. Fights you've always would have liked to have seen, but just never happened. Okay. Yeah, uh, I like this. This sounds fun. And just one clarifying question that I think I know the answer, but I want to make totally sure. Um, Something like, this was a fight a lot of people wanted to see. Something like Leonard Hagler 2 doesn't count. If, If they did fight, it's not just that... A rematch would have been on my wish list. You know list what? Or something. Not necessarily. Oh, okay. I can no, consider. Not necessarily. Okay. I can consider rematches. Okay. You... Yes. All That's right. a compelling reason for absolutely 100%. Okay. All right. All right. This, sh- this should be good. Yeah, I think it's fun. Uh, and like I said, I think this should be something that a lot of people have some thoughts about. And yeah, no wrong answers really here, like yeah. I said. All I... right. Well, bring on Dan Rayfield's sloppy seconds. And uh, <laughs> I fully expect someone to clip that quote out and use it uh, against me at some point. Yep, that, absolutely. Uh, that will probably be Dan. Um, <laughs> that will do it for this week's edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Many thanks again to Rhys Aleem for a terrific interview. We absolutely loved talking to Rhys and look forward to having him back in the future. We will be back next week with hopefully something concrete on the Fury Joshua front, uh, perhaps also with some big Showtime news and other news and previews. Until then, thank you for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire now streaming on Paramount Plus.